Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, we're continuing uh, with the story, uh, the narrative of the life of Jesus, uh, and looking at Mark chapter 6 and verse 14 to 29 uh, as we consider this next part. So do stand for the reading of God's word. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of of God. Let me pray before we sit down. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its richness. We thank you for the way that you teach and encourage and draw us to the heart of Christ. Father, be with us. Help us to listen. Be with this preacher in all his weakness. Father, please help us to gaze on the beauty of Christ and who we are in him and what he has done for us. In Jesus precious and wonderful and magnificent name we pray. Amen. Do take your seats. One of my favorite comedians is the British comedian, Rowan Atkinson. (laughs) I think many of you in the US would know him as Mr. Bean, but he does a very funny sketch. It's called Pink Tights 
and plenty of props, in which he illustrates how to act in Shakespearean drama. And at one point, he plays the part of a herald, the one who announces a message. And sometimes the message of a herald is a good message, right? The battle is won. Victory is secured. And the herald delivers it, chest puffed out with confidence and gusto. Sometimes, though, the message is not so good. The king is dead. The enemy is coming. And on these occasions, the herald maybe almost wants to hide behind the door as he almost timidly reads the message out, fearful maybe of its outcome. Rowan Atkinson plays it brilliantly. You can go and watch it. But the reason I draw us to this idea of herald is because today we're thinking about a message. Not the message of a medieval king, but the message of Jesus Christ. And we're thinking about what this message is. Is it a good message? Is it a bad message? And what might happen if we tell people this message? What their response might be? We saw last week... Jesus sending out his disciples. It'll be good for you to have your Bibles open. And you can see in Mark chapter 6 and verse 12 and 13 that the story ends there with them taking Jesus' message far and wide, proclaiming that people should repent. The story is one of mission. And then if you'll jump ahead with me to verse 30, That continues the story with the disciples returning to Jesus and telling him all that they had done. But in the middle of that story, Mark seems to jump right out of his narrative, slowing down the lens of his camera as he focuses not on the disciples, not on Jesus, not on a miracle or a parable, but on this Jewish Roman king Herod and his execution of John the Baptist. It's kind of a little bit like a story sandwich. The bread being the mission of the disciples, and then the meat being the martyrdom of one of those disciples. And the point of Mark's sandwich is not to tell us a nice little anecdote, or to give us a bit of background information. The point is to teach us what mission for Jesus looks like. It's to show us what to expect when we step out as heralds, if you like, with the message of Jesus. Is it a good message? Is it a bad message? How are people going to respond? What is going to happen to me? As I walk into work on Monday morning and tell my colleague about church on Sunday, what's going to happen next? As I tell my school friends that I'm a follower of Jesus, how are they going to respond? That's what this text is about. And I'd like to make four points drawn from these verses about what this message is and what it will look like when we follow Jesus and proclaim it. Number one, the message of Jesus will hurt people. Number two, 
the message of Jesus will heal people. Number three, perhaps most alarmingly, the message of Jesus will kill you. And number four, the message of Jesus killed Jesus. That's where we're going to go. I hope that makes sense. I guess if it doesn't, I've already prepared, so, you know. <laughs> Let's dive into point one. The message of Jesus will hurt people as we explore what's going on in this story. Verse 14, we discover that Jesus has been causing a little bit of a stir. And his name has become known to this Herod, the Roman-appointed king of Galilee. His ears prick up. He hears of some rumblings in Capernaum, some unrest in Nazareth. This itinerant preacher seems to be ruffling some feathers, and opinions on this guy abound. Is he John the Baptist, raised from the dead, that famous preacher from a few years ago? Is he Elijah, or a new prophet like one of the prophets of old? Well, Herod, for his part, settles for the John theory. No doubt feeling the blood on his hands, having ordered his execution a few years earlier. And so Mark uses this opportunity to flash back and to retell that story so that we can see the response to John's message, which is really the same as Jesus' message. They both preach the same gospel. And in doing this, Mark is teaching us what we can expect when we go out and teach this message. And the first thing that we see is that the message of Jesus hurts people. Mark tells us, verse 17, that the reason Herod slapped John in prison is because of his wife, Herodias. Now, Herod's family history wouldn't make a very good children's book. He'd already been married once, but had divorced his first wife to marry this woman, Herodias, who was not only his niece, but already married to his brother. It's a real den of iniquity. And it's no wonder that John feels the need to call this royal couple out, publicly telling them to stop sinning and start repenting. And this message hurt. Herodias was not best pleased, to say the least. It's not fun to be a royal princess and have a man dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts telling you what to do. And she held a real grudge against John and wanted him dead. Why? Because John was pointing out that she was not the boss. That there was someone over her who had authority to tell her how she should be living her life. And she was not living it accordingly. She was sinning, both in her marriage and by not living her life under God's rule. Friends, as you go out into the world and share with people the message of Jesus, in whatever words you use and however kindly you do it, you will tell people that they are not the boss. They are not the masters of their own lives, and to think that they are is sinning against the one who is. You will call people sinners, because we're all sinners. And this will hurt. Telling people that they can't live how they want to live will make people angry. How dare you tell me what to do? 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're not a Christian. You come to church to hear a nice message. And you're sat there thinking, who is this guy? What gives him the right to stand in the front and tell me how to live my life? Indeed, the message of Jesus hurts. It hurts me. It breaks my self-sufficiency and my pride, pulling me from my little throne and telling me that I'm a sinner. And I don't like it. It hurts. And whatever way you spin it, it will hurt those you speak to. Because the heart of the human heart is to want to be God, not submit to God. As you go out on mission for Jesus, the message of Jesus will hurt people. But Herodias is not the only person who responds to John in this story. She wanted to put him to death right there and then, but Mark tells us that she couldn't because Herod feared John, verse 20. He knew that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Now that's a very different response to the gospel message. Though John's message confuses Herod in many ways, probably for the same reason that it sort of angered Herodias, Herod kept coming back and hearing him gladly. You can almost imagine Herod pacing in his bedroom, no, I won't listen to him. I don't like him. I'm the king. But then returning night after night to hear what he has to say. This great king with power, prestige, women, money. He enjoys hearing from the man who tells him that he's in the wrong. Why? Because we all need to hear that we are not the boss. We were not made to take the position of God. We were made to submit to God and to enjoy being in a relationship with God. And here lies the beauty of the gospel of repentance. The message of Jesus says, you are a sinner. You have done wrong and you know it. You have set yourself up as God, following your own desires, but it hasn't led you to happiness. But I love you. Come, repent. Return to me. I stand with arms wide open and here in my love is rest, peace, joy, life and life to the full. You can live as you were made to live. This is why John's words made Herod glad. Because the message of Jesus heals us. Maybe you're hurting like Herod's today. You know and feel your sin and struggle as you walk into church this morning. Those words that you said that you would just love to take back. That repeated pattern of behavior that you just can't seem to shake. The selfishness and self-centeredness which sort of seems to worm its way into your heart and govern your days. Come. The message of Jesus heals. It will make you glad as you rest in the arms of the God who loves you.
And as you rest, hearing and feeling the healing power of the gospel, go. Take confidence, knowing that this message is a good message, one that people need to hear, one that people want to hear, even as it may hurt. Take confidence, because as you go out on mission for Jesus, the message of Jesus will heal people. We're halfway through. Two points to go. When I was in my early teens, I had a birthday party. And it was a soccer party or a football party. All my friends were invited. We divided into teams and we had a tournament. And my team, and you'll appreciate the pain of this, despite it being my birthday, finished dead last. I think because I was on their team. And I remember being so upset. It's not fair. That's not the way it's supposed to work. My birthday was not going to plan. Well, in verse 21, we learn that it was Herod's birthday. I love that detail. I wonder whether he had a birthday cake. Or a big banner that said, happy birthday, Herod. <laughs> but it's not a birthday that went to plan. Herod invites all his mates, the top brass of Galilee, the nobles and military commanders and leading men. They're all there and the wine is flowing at this big birthday bash. And in comes Herodias's daughter. History tells us her name was Salome. And we don't need to use our imagination much to know the kind of dance that she did that pleased Herod and his male guests so much. And drunk with wine and drunk on his own power, Herod, like all good rulers in history, makes a rash promise. Whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. It's a grand and exaggerated display of wealth and generosity. Have whatever you want. It's yours. Herod probably thinks she's going to ask for a new horse or a Roman villa on the coast of the Mediterranean. And so maybe he starts to sweat when Salome goes out into the corridor to chat to her mother. And as she comes back in, the room goes quiet and we get the climax of this story. This cinematic, crowd-gasping moment. I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I don't just want that man and the message he brings dead. I want to triumph over him parading my victory across the room. Nobody, says Herodias, nobody tells me what to do. We see more of Herodias's heart here, and Herod's too. In a room full of his friends, we learn where his loyalty lies. But I want to draw your attention to John the Baptist. This great and wonderful preacher 
this magnificent prophet of the Lord foretold in the Old Testament as the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. The one whose words rang out in the desert and crowds flocked to hear his message. He has no words here. A swift chop of an axe ends his life in the dungeon of a tyrannical king. What an end. What an inglorious end for this faithful disciple of the Lord. Mark is telling us something pretty devastating here, I think, and I don't want us to miss its punch. If you go out on mission for Jesus, preaching a message that hurts but heals, you will find that this message will kill you. People will hate you for the message that you bring. And though the point is not that every single Christian who preaches this message will literally be killed, of course not, being a messenger of Jesus will hurt you. The work colleague who calls you a bigot, as you faithfully and prayerfully try to wrestle with what you think the Bible teaches on sexuality. The child you've poured your time and prayers into who has walked away from the faith and cannot stand your life choices. The teaching you're receiving in high school or even in elementary school, which seems so at odds with what you're hearing in church and leaves you hurting. Mission for Jesus hurts. And sometimes mission for Jesus ends in the bleakest of circumstances. Sometimes there is no praise, there is no glory. There is no grand triumphant victory, just a swift axe, a bloody head, and what looks like the celebration party of those who oppose you. In a world where we're promised that hard work equals reward, this is a painful message. I'm not saying that God will not build his church. Of course he will. But sometimes mission will end like this. John the Baptist probably ended his life with many, many, many questions. Why am I here? Is the message that I'm preaching a good message? Is it the right message? Where is the Messiah? What is he doing? Brothers and sisters, you may end your life with many, many questions. Where is God when it feels like the voices in society who do not love God are winning? Where is God when we plant a church and immediately get struck by COVID? Where is God when that preacher who I love and respect is embroiled in a scandal? Where is God when I'm sat in the dungeon of a king who likes my message but ultimately cares more about what his friends think and an executioner comes in to take my head? Sometimes, mission for Jesus ends this way. The message of Jesus will kill you. We have a TV show in the UK <laughs> called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here where B-list celebrities get put in a jungle 
and made to eat spiders and stuff. All for entertainment. Maybe you have something similar here, I don't know. But maybe you're thinking as you listen to these words, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. Rob, this doesn't sound very good. I don't really want to be a Christian if that's the road. Is it really worth it? Look with me at verse 29. When John's disciples heard of what had happened, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Why does Mark end his narrative this way? Well, it's just another one of those details in this story that links John and Jesus together. Because Mark is not just showing us what mission for Jesus will look like for us. He's also showing us what's to come for Jesus himself. This story is like, if you will, a mini Easter story. Both John and Jesus were itinerant preachers. Both John and Jesus drew huge crowds and caused a real stir. Both came to the attention of the religious and political leaders. Both had plots against their lives. Both were imprisoned. Both were passive. Both were righteous men, innocent of their their charges, and both were killed. And both were taken by their disciples and laid in a tomb. Friends, as you step out for mission for Jesus, do not suppose that Jesus is calling you to suffer without having suffered first himself. No, the message of Jesus killed Jesus. People did not like it. To be told you're a sinner cuts to your core, and they wanted this guy dead. They wanted to triumph over him and his message, and they thought they had. Jesus breathed his last on a Roman cross and his body was taken by his disciples and laid in a tomb. But there's one key difference. And if you're a Christian today, I hope your heart is soaring as you know where I'm going. Three days later, John's body, headless, I presume, was still rotting in his The man was gone. No one ever heard his voice on earth again, no matter how persuasive or powerful he had been. But three days later, Jesus' body was not in his tomb. The message of Jesus took him to the grave, but it did not keep him in the grave. And that's because Jesus went to the grave to defeat the grave. The message of Jesus will tell you that you're a sinner, and that hurts. But it will also tell you that even though you are a sinner, God loves you and wants to be your friend. And that heals. But the only way in which it can heal is with God sending his son into this world to suffer and to die. To live the life that we couldn't, but die the death that we deserve. The message of Jesus killed Jesus, but it killed Jesus for you. 
to remove the stain of your sin. And that's why God can say, I love you, come. That's why the gospel makes us glad. And as Jesus rose from the dead, three days later, we find that death itself has died. It has no power, no sting for those of us who are in Christ. This is the gospel that you and I love. It's entirely your hope in life and in death. Everything that you live for and everything you're willing to die for. And now Jesus says, go. Go and tell others this wonderful message. It will at times hurt people. It will most certainly make people glad. As the message of Jesus killed Jesus, so indeed the message of Jesus may kill you. John the Baptist's life ended with his head on a platter. But it is all worth it as you gaze upon the beauty of Christ, what he has done for you and who you are in him. Your sins are forgiven. Death has no power. And this life is not all there is. So go. Gaze upon Christ and go. Be a herald with confidence and gusto, walking even unto death as you share the gospel with those who need it. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beauty and the riches and the majesty and the grandeur of Jesus Christ who gave up his glory in heaven to come to earth to die on a cross so that we, human beings who have rejected you, may share in the joy of a relationship with you. Father, fill our hearts with that. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And as you do, give us confidence to go out into this world, a world in which we are often not loved but with confidence to share the beautiful and wonderful message of Christ. Thank you for drawing our hearts to this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.